0: Uh, we've been in the book of Colossians most of the summer, and we have a theme verse, and I couldn't fit it on this handout, as I usually do, so Kayla, if you could put the theme verse on the screen, or you can turn there, it's Colossians 1, and it's verses 16 through 18, and I'd like to say this together, so look at Colossians 1, 16 and 18, and this is the, this, these are the verses from which we get our series title, Jesus First. So good and loud, with enthusiasm, read with me verses 16 through 18 of Colossians 1. Begin. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all. Say it again and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He comes above everything that is important. I love that word, preeminent, because as I've said each week, Eminent things are important things. They're things like job and family and career. All of these things have a level of eminence in our life. They come to the top of our priorities. But above all of those things is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He comes first. He is preeminent. He is above all. Now, through the book of Colossians, we're working that idea out in different themes, and different applications. Well, we've come all the way to ch- the end of chapter number three and the beginning of chapter four. What you have in the, at the end of three and the beginning of chapter four, what you have is the idea that it, in our family lives, in our households, Jesus has to come first. Not just in the church house, but in your house, in my house, we need to have Jesus first family. So read with me, and I won't repreach the whole message, but I will highlight some of the points from last time. So in Colossians 3, we should back up and look at verse 17. We're going to look at verse 18, but back in verse 17, it says, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever you do, make sure you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is the, the, the focus of our lives. Giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. But now he gets specific about some specific ways that we glorify Him, some specific ways that we do things in His name. Look at verse number 18. Now the instruction to the families. The instruction to the families Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. So there's the instruction to the wives. Now to the, to the husbands, husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. 18 is to the wives, 19 is to the husbands, and 20, you guessed it, is to the kiddos. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord, Now, in the realm of parenting, we come back now in verse 21 to the fathers. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You seeing the the breakdown? Husbands, wives, children, parents, fathers. Husbands, wives, children, parents, fathers. Fathers. Then verse 22, this is an interesting one, and I'll I'll explain this toward the end of the message. Servants, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Servants were a part of the Greco-Roman household. So it's a unique cultural reality that in a household was a husband, a wife, children, and there were servants that lived in the household. Now, that word can also be translated slaves. But what we need to understand this morning, and I'll say more about this later, is the idea of servanthood in the Greco-Roman world was not... It wasn't good, I'm not saying that, but it was very different than your Western idea of servanthood or slavery. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But what I'm showing you here is the idea of um, what the household looked like. Paul uh, Paul is addressing all of the realities of the household and how... how a Greek or Jewish household in this day should have behaved itself. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And now look at verse 23. I love this. Would you read this out loud together with me? Begin. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. And then in verse number one again of chapter four, this is where we finish. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Verse 2 starts a new section. It's kind of an awkward... When the scriptures were written, there were no chapters. The, the people who translated into English, they gave us the chapter breakdown, so those chapters are not inspired. Uh, and so, really, the section doesn't end at the end of chapter 3. It logically ends at the first verse of chapter, of chapter number 4. You see that. Husbands... Wives, children, parents, fathers, servants, masters. Who is addressed? Who is addressed more than any other person in this sequence? Go ahead, say it. I heard it. The men. The men are addressed very frequently in this passage. Husbands, wives. Children, parents, fathers, servants, masters. The masters would have been the the male heads of the household in this day. So if you're a, a, a man in here today, there's a lot that the scripture expects from you and a lot that the scripture expects from me. Now, let's just remind ourselves of where we came from and then we'll spend most of our time on the children and the servant idea. But if you look back at your introduction, families are the foundation of the church, the culture, and the civilization. Families are so crucial. We looked last week at the biblical, and I would encourage you, if you missed last week, go back and listen to the audio or watch the video on YouTube or Facebook and get that. Because we laid a groundwork that the the, the breakdown of the family, our understanding of the family, did not come from a cultural norm or a cultural expectation. But the idea of the family goes to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we learned some things. We learned actually some balanced perspective. We learned that at the beginning God created male and female and he gave the mission to subdue the earth and to fill the earth and to and to control the earth. He gave that mission equally to both the man and the woman. So we saw right from the beginning that the the man and the woman do they have different missions? Yes or no? They do not. They that's what and I took some time last week to unfold that, unpack that. It's, it's Pretty important, so if you, if you missed it, just I would encourage you to go back. The man and the woman, if you follow the Genesis pattern, they have the same mission. However, in mission Command, there is a, there is a structure of authority, just like any mission. We talked about the fact that that reflects the Godhead, the Trinity, father, son and spirit. Perfectly equal, but the Son, the Son, Jesus, he willingly submits to whom? To the Father. And so we talked about what does it mean in this verse, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. We took some time to talk about what it does mean, and we took some time to talk about what it doesn't mean. And I pointed out that there are people that are very progressive, that want to completely redefine the family. The Bible speaks against that. Then I also spoke about the fact that there are some people who are very, very conservative, and they want to go back to some cultural expectations rather than look at what the Bible actually says. And so we saw that we as Christians, if we're going to understand the role of the wife and the role of the husband, make sure it's rooted in scripture, not in culture. It's very important for our families. So, if you're following along, I'm I'm working my way through, and it says husbands, I'm getting a little bit of a ring up here. If you could just take my mic down just a tiny bit, just a little. Husbands and wives working together to magnify Christ. That's what we do. That's the purpose of our marriage. That's the purpose of our family. It is to magnify Christ. So husbands and wives working together. We said we do that by embracing our God-given roles. The man is supposed to lead the home. Did you see, again, how many times the male role is mentioned in this passage? It is the emphasis. As you study the Bible, you will find it's very clear that the man has been chosen by God, not because he's smarter or more talented, but because that is the created order. That the man has been chosen to lead his home. Home, and the wife's responsibility is to submit. So the wife's role is Christ-like submission, and the husband's role is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And we looked at these passages in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, and we discussed that. We also saw the instruction in verse number 19: verse number husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. And that has the idea of not of harboring bitterness in your heart but of acting in a bitter way. And sometimes it's translated, do not be harsh with them. In the Greco-Roman world, men had an undue amount of authority over women. They did not have the equality. as and That's why the, the Bible was pretty revolutionary when Paul said, in Christ there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. Do we understand how radically revolutionary that was to the social strata of the Greco-Roman world? I mean, if you were the head of household man in, in the Roman Empire, you had carte blanche. You could do whatever you wanted, pretty much. The Bible changes that and teaches the men to be loving leaders and not to treat their families or their servants harshly. Well then we come of course to verse number 20. In verse number 20 the very first word would you say it with me is children. Children. Now we dismissed the little children to go downstairs and have junior church. So how would you define how would you define who he is referencing here? When he says children, are we speaking of... So, for instance, I am my father's child. Shocking, right? I taught you something new today. I am my father's child. Every person in here is a child. Is that who is being addressed in this passage? No, it's not. This is very clear. These are the children of the household. The children of the household. So, I would submit to you this understanding this morning. If if you live in your parents' home, if your parents provide for your housing, your clothing, your basic needs and you are not an independent adult, then you would be the one being referred to as child. Now, I know some I know some young people, they ex- they they accept adult responsibility. I've known some people to, to really become adults as young as 16 years old. And to strike out, and usually it's through difficult circumstances, but there might be somebody in here, you're like, yeah, you know what? I basically had to become an adult at 15 or 16 years old and take responsibility and, and, have my own, and, and live my own life. Well, that's, that happens. In our culture today, it tends to be this, this moment when we get done with high school, we move on, and then there can be a bit of a transition. It can be kind of awkward sometimes, that time when uh, maybe we're in college and our parents are still caring for our basic needs, but we know we're making autonomous adult-like decisions. That's probably the hardest area to navigate, to be honest with you. So if you're in that stage right now, that's a, that's a difficult stage to, to navigate. But if you're still 100% living at home, regardless of your age, this isn't a, this isn't a passage that's talking down to you. Oh, you little children. That's not the point. The point is you find yourself in a household where your father and your mother, it's their household. Adulthood is described this way in the Bible. For this reason, shall a man leave his what? Father and mother and cleave to his wife. There comes a time where you've got to leave. You've got to leave and establish your own household. But here, the, um, the children are in the house. They're in the household. And he says this, children... Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Often, I think for young people, for children that, that may still be in the room right now, we think about life as something in our future. You're like, what do you mean? I mean like, oh, well you know, next year I'm going to do this, and a few years I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to step out on my own. We've got some young adults in the room, they're, they're at that point. They've made their, they graduated college, and now they're making their own independent lives. But we're always thinking, Some at least when I was young, maybe you're not like me, but when I was young, it was always, all right, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Did you realize that if you are here and you're 13, 14, 15, 17 years old, that you have a godly function to perform in your home right now? Like right now, as a teenager, you have a calling from God to glorify Christ by doing what? That sounds so boring, Donna. What did you say? (laughs) by obeying your parents. But in obedience, in obedience, well, you're going to trade him in for boot camp pretty soon. I saw that little thing there. So just a few more days, and then you're going to trade mom and dad for the drill sergeant, right? Pray for James. He's got about a week or three weeks before he heads off to boot camp. So that's a growing up experience right there. But you have a role that you play now that glorifies Christ. Because remember, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Children, obey your parents in all things. Parents and children work together to magnify Christ. Children must not just accept, but embrace obedience. Embrace it. Not just, guys, it's not just, it's not just, oh, I got to obey these people. I got to obey my parents. Well, I guess I'm living at home. I guess I got to obey them. No, if we are to reflect Christ, if we are to be Christian young people, if you were to be a Christian teenager, then you should say, I will embrace, I will joyfully do what Christ called me to do, and I will obey my mom and my dad. That's what the scripture calls us to do at that point in our lives. In fact, there's something I put on here, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. This is a really interesting passage. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with, what's it say? Promise. Promise. This is amazing. If you go back to the Ten Commandments, if you go back to the Old Testament, and you read the instruction to honor your father and mother, it says, honor your dad and mom so that it will be well with you, and you'll live a long life in the land that God gave you. Now, does that mean if you obey your mom um, that you're guaranteed to live to 97 years old? Is that what the point there, that you're going to get a long life? That, that would be nice. This is one of these general life principles. It's a promise from God. That all things being equal, you will live a happier, more fulfilled, more productive life if you learn obedience. If you learn obedience. So you've got a choice. If you're a teenager, look at me right now. Every teenager, look at me. Look at me. Yeah, you want to put that down because you won't be able to pay attention. Okay? So look right here. You have a choice right now in your life. That if you are going to believe what God's word says, or step out on your own and do it your own way, nobody can make that decision for you. You have to. Your parents can't make you obey them. Don't you wish you could, Mom and Dad? I get like, you know, at some point, my kids are going to be. My kids are going to realize one day, I actually don't have to listen to what he says. You're like, why are you even saying that? Why are you even saying that? Because the goal of our parenting should not be just outward obedience. Outward obedience, but the goal should be the heart. Yeah. The goal should be I just hope because listen. Like I'm not the greatest dad all the time. Okay? And you probably aren't either, guys. And you might not be the greatest mom all the time. So our only hope our only hope is for God to touch young hearts, and they say, I love Jesus, and because I love Jesus, even though my parents drive me crazy, in a room, teenagers, look around now, how many of you, when you were a teenager, your parents drove you crazy? Go ahead. I mean, how many of you? My hand is up. Two hands, Adam? Take it easy, bro. All right? Okay? This is a reality of life. This is a reality of life. You know Why? Because your dad, your mom, maybe you're being raised by another family member. They are just people. They are sinners. They mess stuff up. They do things wrong. Anybody ever felt smarter than their parents before? Anybody ever felt smarter than their parents? Okay, now all joking aside, how many of you would look back and say this? Think. I want to be honest here. It's important for the kids to hear this. How many of you would say, you know what, there were actually some things back when I was a kid that, I honestly, I believe I did know better than my parents in those situations. Anybody would say that? You'd have the guts to say that? You'd say, yeah, there were some times, yeah, I did know better. There's some people like, oh, I don't know, like, depends how old. You ready for your mind to be blown? Jesus, the Creator, The Lord of the universe was at one point a 14-year-old boy who obeyed a mom and a dad named Mary and Joseph that he had created. Wow. He obeyed. When you, young man, young lady, when you embrace the role of honoring your father and your mother, when you obey You are reflecting the glory of Jesus. You are reflecting the glory of Christ. And that is an amazing, amazing opportunity. Children and parents work together. So listen, your parents can only make you obey for so long. You are going to have to decide if you love God enough to obey your mom and dad. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, I want you to look with me again at verse number number 20. Back in Colossians. Colossians 3, look at verse 20. Children, obey your who? All right, that's a, 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 a role for who? Who do we have in that word parents? Mom and dad. Mom and dad are there. Mom and dad, co-parent together. Mom and dad, co-parent together. If you are not married to the parent of your child, this is difficult. And that's a reality of the life in which we live. But you have got to find a way to parent together. You've got to. Because as much as is possible, children need a mom and a dad. You say, well, what if there is no father figure in a in, in young men and young women? There's an epidemic of fatherlessness. What do you do in those scenarios? You need to be so connected to your local church. You need to just be in your church, and you need to, you need to get your kids around men of God. You need to get them around other dads and families. Uh, dads, that you you might be here, men, you might be here, and you you need to be aware of that, that there are other people's children that if you are a father in the church, you're a father in the Lord. And you can have an impact where somebody else may not have stepped up. But it's a mother and a father, parents. But notice this, he then says in verse number 21, not just to the parents, but he comes back again in verse 21, to whom? To the fathers. Fathers, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. This is echoed to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What you have in this verse, verse number four, nurture and admonition of the Lord, study the Greek words behind that, and you find two things, discipline and encouragement. Discipline and encouragement. Fathers have the ultimate responsibility for the raising of their children. I've observed two things that happen in families. Fathers who are unwilling to biblically father their children. I've observed that. I've observed fathers that would say, you know what? I just, I'll just let my wife do it all. She deals with the kids. I, that's just not my thing. I'll go do whatever. That's a problem. Because dads, we have the ultimate responsibility in the home. If you didn't grow up that way, I have several friends that I, I've met... In college, a few of my good friends, they grew up with fathers who were not involved in their lives. But it's been a joy to watch them step up and be dads that their fathers never were to them. been awesome to see that. So two things I've seen happen are fathers who will not fulfill the God-given role to lead their children. Secondly, and please receive this, I've also observed... Mothers who will not let the fathers lead the children. In the Bible, there's two roles of the father. To be the authoritarian, that is a good word, there's nothing wrong with that. The father is supposed to be the authoritarian and the encourager. God has given him that role. I've observed sometimes... A father who wants to discipline the child and make sure that the child is corrected and do what's right, only for a mother to step in and say, oh, no, 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 and to put the brakes on all of it. Okay? I say this kindly and patiently. That is not a recipe for a healthy family. It doesn't, that doesn't work. But then at the same time, fathers, we have, we have both the responsibility to be the authority but also tender with our kids, encouragers. Most guys will fall too far on one side of the spectrum. Most guys will be too either too authoritative or too much the fun dad. Too much either they're the disciplinarian, and they make sure the kids line up and they're in a row and they get all the things done, or they are over here and they just want to come home and have fun with the kids and not deal with any of the problems. Have you observed this to be true in life? Am I, am I telling you anything that's not, like, this is, a, this is a thing? So, guys, you need to identify which where you're out of balance. You need to figure it out. I know, I know. Some of you that know me well, you're like, yeah, we know. So, I know, just ask my kids, they'll tell you. Is your dad too much discipline or too much fun? Yeah. Stop laughing so loud over there, my brother and sister-in-law. So now ask my brother. No, we won't go there, okay? It's actually true. If you know us well, you watch me and Aaron raise our kids, we tend to both be, we work toward the balance. But I tend to be pretty authoritative with my kids, and I've had conversations with them. Sometimes I'm too hard. And that, that convicts me. Some transparency here. That verse back in Colossians that says don't, um, what's the exact phrase? It says don't provoke them to anger lest they be discouraged. Colossians 1.21. And the idea here, I've seen it, is like exasperated. Ugh, just can't measure up. Just can't do it right. And we, we can be too overbearing. But at the same time, we can be too permissive, and we can just have all fun, and then we, de- then we neglect our responsibility, and the mom has to do all of it. So there's something here for both the dads and the moms. Now again, I said this last week, I don't want anybody to be discouraged here. I don't want anybody to be like, oh, because look, there's nobody that's going to get, at the end, the, like... I see people writing these parenting books, and I'm just like, well, thank you for your book, but like, I don't think I could ever write a parenting book. right?" It's like, if I'm ever short or say something, I have a little joke with Deborah. I'll be like, yeah, I'll put that one in my parenting book. You know? <laughs> like, that, was, that was a great example. But I don't want anybody to be discouraged. You're not going to get it completely right. Nobody is. We're always working... If you're aware of your shortcomings and aware of it, listen, y- y- your kids just need to know that, they, that you love them and that you admit your shortcomings. I can remember a moment in my life, I could take you to the exact spot right now where my dad, he, he, he yelled at me for something, <gasps> okay, and then I remember exactly where we were where he turned to me, and he apologized, and he said to me, what I just said, and the way, the way I said it, that wasn't even true about the way that you were. I'm sorry I said that. That stuck with me. I could take you to the place. It was actually right in the, like, the last parking space in the church right here. I got falsely accused of something by my father in the van. And we got to the van... We got to the parking spot. He turned around and he apologized. That's just authentic parenting. Don't put a crushing weight on yourself because you're never going to get it all right. However, however, be honest with your kids. Try to improve and let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. And moms and dads work together. I also don't want to discourage people that might be here that would say, oh, But you know what? Like, my partner will not get on board. Or our our relationship, my relationship with the child's other parent, or my husband or my wife, we're just not on the same page. You've got to try to get on the same page. But listen, if they won't, it's like I said about marriage last week, you can't make anyone do it. You just have to pray and do what you can do and trust God. The responsibility is always ours. And if you say, well, boy, I'm past that stage in my life, even this, oh, and I know, and and I'm, I know parents, they just, there's just this guilt that parents deal with, and it's strong, and they're like, oh, everything you're saying, I wish I'd applied that 30 years ago, I wish I had done that. It's never too late to restart a relationship with your child. To say, you know what? You know what, son? You know what, daughter? I maybe was not, I admit that I was not what I should have been. I want to start over. You can't go back and and recreate memories that just don't exist. You can't change the past. But if two people are willing, you can start all over again. How do I know that? Because that's the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus does, He restores, He reconciles. Everything that we've been doing in this, and I guess it looks like we're going to have a third week on this same lesson, so I'll just print these. You can just hang on to these notes and bring them back next week. Everything that we've been seeing so far, stay with me, everything that we've seen so far has been a picture of Christ. Marriage is a picture of Christ in who? The church. church. That we are the bride of Christ. Jesus is is our husband who lovingly laid down his life for our salvation. What an amazing picture of love. But not only that, but for the children. Jesus is the example. Jesus, he submitted, he obeyed his mother and his father. Why? Because as it says in the Bible, Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is a better husband than any man could ever be. He's a better, better, better father than any person could ever be. And he was a better child than any person could ever be. And that's why whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, it is not about you be getting better and better and better and better. It's about what is our series. It's about taking Jesus and putting him where in your life? First. And getting back to the gospel Thinking about the cross. Do you realize this morning that if we sing that song, usually we'll sing the, the, the song that we ended with again? When I survey the wondrous cross. If you'll think about what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you'll base your life on that, you know what? You won't just. You, that's just not how you get saved. That will make you a better husband. That will make you a better wife. That will make you a better child. Because that is the Christian life. The Christian life is this, I'm a sinner. No matter how hard I try, I can't make myself better, I can't make myself good enough. So me, so unworthy, so undeserving, such a failure as me, I'm just, just, I'm just so bad in sin. And Jesus, so wonderful, so amazing. By the way, next week, he also became a servant. Servants, who's coming up? He also became a servant. Jesus came. He lowered himself willingly to our level. And he said, all you have to do is put your faith in me. All you have to do is believe in me and I will forgive your sin. And I will transform you into a new creation. And that's where we live from every day. Jesus first. In our hearts, in our minds, and in our families. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? I mean, has there been a time in your life, has there been a moment in your life where you understood what I just said, that you're a sinner, lost, that Jesus came down from heaven for us, that he died for you, that he rose again? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus alone? Not in a church, not in a religion Not in being a good person, but if you put your faith in Jesus, that's the way to heaven. That's the way to become a true Christian. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Start your life in Christ today. Admit your sin. Believe that he died for you and call upon him as your savior today. Do it right now as we close in prayer. So that's the, I always finish with two applications. One is for someone who's never received Christ. Don't wait, do it now. But the other application is for those of you who have received Christ. Are you letting him have first place in your family? Or do you need to take some time and rededicate that, repurpose that this morning? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. This is our. This is, and let's try not to stir around, be moving. Right now, let's just focus. On the Lord how many of you would say God spoke to my heart today pastor Ethan God spoke to my heart somebody hand up yeah amen amen you'd say yeah there's something specific that God spoke to me about well as the piano plays softly in just a minute why don't you why don't you why don't you spend some time with God however he's dealing with your heart why don't you pray with, to him you can Bow a knee at your seat. You could come forward and pray at the altar or the front row if you'd like. Maybe you'd want somebody to pray with you. We'd be happy to do that. But right now, would you, would you spend some time in prayer with the Lord? But then, if you've never received Christ, whether you're in this room or you're watching on the video today, if you have never received Jesus as your Savior, He can change your life. He can change your family, but most of all, He can change your eternal destiny. Jesus came to pay for our sin. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life. But you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to believe that Jesus died for you and ask him to save you. So right now, if you've never done that, if you would like to make sure, pray something like this. Say, dear God, dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I admit that. But I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I put my faith in you. I trust in you, Jesus. Today, I give you my life. If you've never done that, make sure today. Make sure. Let's continue in prayer as the instruments play. Just however God has spoken to your heart, spend some time with the Lord. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.